0: having a relentless mentality is number one, whether it's your business or it's your brand. Branding is the ultimate journey in personal development because you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to understand how other people see you and to not get emotionally worn out about that. We stand today... The business method with a shadow the business, method. The, head. The the head. business oh. method the business method podcast
1: the business method podcast featuring chris reynolds entrepreneur systems methods tools and tactics Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Why, hello, my fans and listeners. I want to say uh, welcome to the show today. We have a a special guest again, surprise, surprise, Raul Davis. Raul Davis founded the Ascendant Group in 2004, which is a company that helps CEOs grow their brand. So Raul is a significant influencer because he has played so many major roles throughout his career and also helped so many influencers play major roles in their business as well and create more success. So uh, Raul's actually had management roles at Paramount has worked for a presidential campaign, has also significant investments in real estate planning, a real estate planning company and a technology company. He's joined over 150 entrepreneurs that were selected to participate in forums at the White House, the Senate, and the US Chamber of Commerce. His company, Ascendant Group, was awarded one of the top 25 small businesses to work for, and also he is a founding member of Forbes Agency Council. So he's done some significant things, and he works with a lot of influencers. So in many ways, not only is he an influencer, but he's the influencer behind the influencer that helps people gain more recognition in their branding and their influence. It's a fun episode, you guys. We touch on the process that he uses from going to a wor- uh, good to world-class, being a good member of your communities and your tribes, and how you get recognized in those communities and tribes. And we also talk about um, what he calls complexity reduction exercise. So how we can reduce the amount that we do as entrepreneurs and focus on the, the core priorities, the most important things. Him and his company took two years to work through a complexity reduction exercise, which took all the unnecessary things they were trying to do and thinking that they could do and focus on the Things that they are best at. I think, if anything, this podcast is worth learning about how we can reduce the things that we try to put on our plate so much as entrepreneurs and people. So let's hop into the episode, you guys. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you here today. Our guest is Raul Davis, and we have him on the microphone today. You guys, let's welcome Raul to the show. How are you, Raul? I'm great. Happy to be here. Good. Did I get all those stats right on your intro? Oh, it
0: was great.
1: Okay, good, <laughs> good, good. I want to make sure all the information's up to date. And um, where are you calling from today?
0: Newark, Delaware, about 45 minutes south of Philly, and uh, 50 minutes north of Baltimore.
1: You're based out of there, correct? Yes, absolutely. But you guys have offices international?
0: We have locations in New York, Cairo, Egypt, Lebanon, Netherlands, Nova Scotia, Canada as well.
1: Nice. I definitely want to talk about the the spread of ascendance internationally and how that'll work, but we'll we'll talk... First, on how you built the company into it, what it is today. So, where initially did the the spark, the imagination for Ascendant Group come from?
0: Well, it's funny because I was in undergrad in student government, and I had an opportunity to work with a speaker, um, KRS One, former uh, hip hop artist, actually. And we booked them; had eleven hundred people come to the event. And I said to the bureau we were working with do you have any internships? They said, no. I said, well, give me one anyway. So I started booking speakers for this company out of LA. Mind you, I'm in North Carolina working remotely and I'm 22 years old. And what I did was I just went to my friends at other universities and said, Hey, use me instead of some old person you don't know to book your speakers. And that sophisticated sales pitch worked with some of my friends and this company was amazed because they had never looked at the university circuit before. So all of a sudden, I'm becoming one of her top salespeople because all of her other guys are stuck in corporate. And I'm literally working like 15 hours a week on this, right? So... Over the summer, what I would do is stuff like fly to Atlanta, visit every school there, drive all the way to New Orleans. And this was before Google Maps, you know. So this is using <laughs> Yahoo! print, you know. Yeah. And I got and I hear someone say, Oh, you know, after you take three lefts and then past the barn, right? You know, that's where you turn those days, right? So did that for a couple of years. Finishing up the University of Delaware for grad school, I have two of the clients approach me and say, Hey, Raul, we love working with you. Why don't you start your own company? We'll become your first two clients. So Ascendant was born unplanned in that way. There was an opportunity. I seized it. And that's how we got
1: started. Nice. And so what what were the steps after that? When, when the initial thought came across? Like, what were those first steps that you did? Yeah. So...
0: The positioning, we decided to take, and and the first thing about when you come into a business is you got to figure out what you're going to do that is differentiated to some degree, right? So we decided to start a speaker management company, which at the time was an odd thing because you had speaker bureaus or you had talent agents. So what we did was we booked speakers directly. And then we worked with the bureaus as well as kind of like a distribution channel. And we decided not to disrupt for normal commission schedule, just let them have it. And we would take a. Developer. So everyone loved working with us. So we used that model initially. And then after a couple of years, you know, what we figured out was, well, what determines how much they speak? It's their popularity or their brand. Right. So then we started moving into personal branding and we utilized public relations and securing book deals initially as our first kind of forte there. We were working with outside contractors and we had successes. We also had some misses. Um, However, what ended up happening was the term personal branding started becoming a little bit more known and then a little bit more saturated. And a lot of clients coming in for us became began to become CEOs and executives. So that's when we decided in 2009 to shift the business and focus specifically around CEO branding. And at the time, we were the second market entry in the entire space. So we came to really define the entire model that is used in the marketplace today, which is CEO branding is about helping being the chief storyteller for your business. And we utilize a blend of brand strategy, PR, social media, design, and congressional thought leadership now has been the latest offering we've had in to help you kind of realize that business isn't just B2B or B2C. It's h to h human-to-human connectivity. So how do you build that emotional connection with the audience?
1: Right. Where do you think a lot of, like, you know, or I think a question that could come up for a lot of people is, you know, if you're a CEO, you've, you've got a good career, you've got a good job. Uh, why do I need to build a brand? Like, wh- where do you think the CEOs out there are missing, uh, filling in that gap at?
0: You know, where, where I think CEOs as well as executives are missing it is that my, my mentor, a guy named Chris Collins, told me, taught me that we all have two choices. We can get branded or we can get labeled. So the question becomes, do you want to help shape? the marketplace image or do you just want to have it happen to you, right? And when it just happens to you, it's kind of like five loose fingers trying to punch. There's not a lot of force. Whereas if you're branding you, it's together, it's a fist, it hits much harder. And it makes life so much simpler for the people you're working with because they understand how to refer you. They understand how to describe you. And that is much better than someone saying, oh, well, you know, John, he does something with, uh, with uh, computers. Um, yeah, you know, but he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. It's not a very convincing <laughs> referral, right. right? So branding means clarity at the end of the day, that's the value of it. And your brand is designed to be in the room when you are not, right? So that is really the value of it. And it is not about ego, it's about effectiveness.
1: So what's the process? Say if like a CEO or exec comes to you, what what's the process that you guys take? take so through?
0: the first thing is we don't operate like a lot of agencies which try to have a formula and just fit everyone into the formula. We focus on this idea of finding decisive differentiation. So in other words, what is so unique to you that we can amplify that and make that grow? Because that's the aspect that other people can't clone, right? right? So you know, businesses to some degree are kind of like NASCAR. Every car is high performing. Every car has a great pit crew. Every car has hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars put into it. The biggest difference with each car is the driver. So the CEO is a driver for the business. So being able to hyper emphasize on that differentiation matters. So once we've gotten that down, then we figure out well what are the best tools to get the message out a lot of times it is thought leadership based pr which just basically says instead of trying to push your product or service to the media where they'll either flush it down a virtual toilet or send you to the advertising department because they know you're just trying to promote your business Instead, provide value, provide thought leadership, share with them something that their audience will get value out of. And then guess what? While you're doing that, you get to use relevant examples about your business anyway. So it's the best of both worlds. It's just purely better because when someone is just pushing their product, it's just less interesting anyway in general. So um, that's key. Utilizing social, figuring out which platforms end up making the most sense. That varies for each client. And then thinking about what the look and the feel of a brand is. So those are some of the core components.
1: Okay. And uh, going back to building building Ascendant in the uh, early days, I know, so you first said you were getting clients through universities and then um, you started personal branding uh, focusing on personal branding for the first few years what what were the ways that you guys were were attracting clients in those early days
0: well in in the early days, it was really we were using direct mail we were using aggressive email and at the time everyone was like, "Oh, direct mail is so old school but the nice thing about that, is it meant that not a lot of people were using it. (laughs) So we ended up using like these postcards that would highlight our individual clients and we'd send those to the universities and organizations. Whereas what the bureaus were doing was sending the catalog and the catalog would have 200 speakers in it you could choose from. Whereas we're sending individual postcards for each of our clients so that was really the approach that we went with and then the other thing we did was we really focused on building deep relationships with uh, with the universities we worked with so that they would not only book you know our client one time but they would think about bringing them back or they would think about um you know booking someone else with us so that was kind of like in the earliest days how we built the business before we transitioned forward to um, serving our, our clients differently for branding.
1: So I had a guy speaking yesterday on on growing podcasts. His name was Rob Dial, and he was talking about the way he he created success was doing everything different than what everybody else was doing. And it sounds like that's what you were doing with direct marketing, you know, in those early days. Uh, what are ways? What are some ways that you try to look at the market and and what it's doing and and. and Figure out like something different to do so you guys stand out, so you attract the best clients and become the best company out there.
0: Yeah, so uh, my belief is conventional wisdom is usually wrong.
1: Okay, because
0: if it was right, everyone would be successful, right? So when everyone started saying, Oh, Facebook's dead, like we decided to lean into Facebook more because okay, well, there's 2 billion people on it. So that's cool. That seems like a sufficient enough size. And we ended up beginning to utilize it as a way to test messaging for our clients, because Facebook is different than the other social platforms in the sense that the people you're connected to are like generally really your friends. On on Twitter, If I retweet something, I don't know the people following me, but if you share content from someone on Facebook, you're actually basically saying, I want my friends to see this. So from a data gathering perspective and and understanding a user, that is so much more valuable. And so we end up utilizing that and those engagement metrics to then help shape our messaging, not only on Facebook, but the over social platforms, how we think about PR, how we think about helping our clients write a book. We have an in-house literary agent now, we evolved at that point. So it helps us kind of form our overall message and strategy. And I don't think a lot of agencies are thinking of it in those
1: terms. Very cool. Very clever. Any other ways, anything you can think of that you guys look at the market and try to stand out and do different
0: yeah i mean so it, it's really just about what i call doing sanity checks so you can really get locked into doing business a certain way for a certain time period and i think what you have to do every year is kind of be willing to push the needle and be willing to reset because anything you do for too long becomes stagnant. So part of what we did at the beginning of this year, even though we have this rich success record in these areas is we completely reset and evaluated our PR process. We completely redesigned our social process. And again, in part because we wanted to get ahead of beginning to see diminishing returns. Like as soon as you see the first signal of diminishing returns, you need to be radical in addressing that because the pattern is only going to get worse. It's not going to get better.
1: So going back to the, your your guys's shift in two thousand four when you went from focusing on personal branding to focusing on CEOs and execs, uh, I think a lot of a lot of people struggle with the changing the focus and identity uh, of the business and themselves really. From saying okay, like I, this is my target market, and then you shift all of a sudden and go to uh, something else. Like a lot of people are resistant around that because the, you know they think, oh, we'll just keep through it and we'll survive the market, and then we'll you know we'll, we'll trump it when the economy comes back around. So, what what were the decision deciding factors that helped you make that decision, and what helped you realize that was the right? When did you realize that was the right way to go?
0: Well, I mean, so. The simple analogy is the eagle. What makes an eagle different from everyone else? They keep soaring above their competitors, right? And and the their competitors fall off from them. So if you're not figuring out how to continue to elevate, then you're just going to get stuck. So part of it was just kind of understanding that. The second part to it is is thinking about how market dynamics are changing and when more people are coming into a space then your market share kind of gets chipped at right and if you let it continue to get chipped at the iceberg eventually goes away and you don't see it you don't feel it because it's so incremental like for most people businesses don't fail overnight they fail a little bit each day (laughs) it's
1: a good way to put it,
0: Then you look up and you're like, what happened? (laughs) Well, what happened was you got comfortable, you didn't read the signs, you just thought it was gonna get better, and
1: it didn't. And you just stay there stuck. Yes. And, And so can you take us to the time that you guys were making that decision, you know, and some of the action steps you decided to focus on? Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, so so
0: here, so here's the trickiest thing about it. There's a great deal of discomfort you will feel in positioning to a new audience, right? Because you've done things a certain way and there's a risk in it. So the thing to be mindful is that it's more risky to just stagnate. That is the the more riskier option. So you've got to first kind of understand that paradigm shift because it gives you the confidence to go forward. Number two, you will make a lot of mistakes, like a tonne. The value in it is learning from them quickly, because once you go through those mistakes and you power through them, then you continuously get stronger. It took us 15 years, essentially, to build capabilities in PR, social design, congressional thought leadership, publishing, video. So that didn't happen overnight. And there were mistakes along the way. And I remember one time we went through a complexity reduction exercise where felt like we were doing too many things too quickly. So we had to be brave enough to start saying no to clients. So we went through a period of about two years where we just streamlined the business. And then we slowly started building some pieces back in. And that's how we got to where we are today. So there's a saying this pastor shared with me that you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. So in other words, you gotta make sure your base is strong and you have to test your base, right? Because that's how you find out how far you can go. And if you find out, like, look, you've, you've taken on a little bit too much, that's okay. Like, it's not the end of the world. You can either make the strategic adjustments and try again, Or you can step back for a while and maybe revisit it again one day. And any of those options are fine. I think people just get way too wigged out about failure or about setbacks. I mean, you know, like we we just lost Kobe Bryant, right? Like he missed most of his shots. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think he shot for his career like 47%. He missed most of his shots. He did not care. You remember that game? He shot like three air balls in the playoffs. and. He just was like, okay, well, I need to go to the gym, get my legs stronger. So that doesn't happen to me again next year. That's how you have to be as an entrepreneur.
1: Very good point. I'm curious about this, uh, did you call it a complexity reduction? exercise? Reduction exercise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that process? I, I know many people that, uh, you know, all, all, so many entrepreneurs like take on so much, right? We think we can do it all and do it all. And that's what high performance is about and productivity. What we talk about all the time is, is how can we be actually more effective and people just try to do more and more and more in work hours and they burn themselves out. So, so this process and you, that was a two year process for you. I'm curious. Um, what? where did the process come from and how did you guys implement it and, and some of the details along the way?
0: So there's high performance and then there's high insanity, okay? So you've got to learn to differentiate between the two. And I'm going to describe what the moment many of us face and, and this is the moment where you need to think about doing this. When you get to the point where not only is your email inbox just completely unsustainable, but you're showing up late to meetings. You are doing these, whenever you're doing your proposals or your creative exercises, you begin to realize you're losing some of your fire and like you're just kind of dragging through them and you're still getting them done and you're still smart and all that, but it's taking longer now. And it takes more for you to get into that creative zone and you find yourself being interrupted more. So like when all these things begin to converge together, that's your moment to begin looking at, am I doing too much? Is the business doing too much? And what is it costing you, right? Because like if you're missing, if you're dragging that much and your creativity is lower, then you're missing opportunities your proposal isn't done as well as it could and that can decrease your close rate. You may not be able to focus as much on new client development. You may not be able to nurture your team as much. And um, that's when you have to look at those things. And so what we ended up doing was just kind of thinking about, well, what are the things we're really absolutely the best at? And how about we kind of shrink back to those things and then figure out later how we bring the rest back to the table. So I think that's what it really ends up becoming about because I had a moment where we had a $150,000 contract and we had a client who loved 90% of the work we did, but we ended up struggling with getting this website programmed and it was delivered several weeks late. The client got frustrated. They canceled the entire agreement on us. Over what was a six thousand of that hundred and fifty thousand, so that those moments will obviously accelerate those time periods. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so this was a process of, of two years. It, 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 did you did you did you do it over a two year period to like really ingrain it in the company culture? Well, it took took
0: six months to just dial back the services, right? Because like you have existing agreements you still need to fulfill. Your business development team is used to selling a certain way, right? You're used to uh, structuring your value proposition a certain way. So six months was just dialing it back. The other 18 months, well, well, I would say actually the next 12 months of that 18, was just about becoming increasingly strong and efficient at the things that we were doing well, so that we could go from good to world class. And then the next six months was about beginning to tinker a little bit and see, all right, well, what things do we want to start bringing back in? How do we begin doing that? And then to some degree, beginning to test that out. So that's how I would describe how that art
1: works. Okay, makes sense. And and the process of like going from good to world class because I think that's also something that a lot of uh, people and entrepreneurs struggle with. Like uh, you know when you're good, you've probably got a good 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 business set up. You've got a, a good system set up. The systems are going well. The team is you know developed. Um, take us through that that process or that mentality or any exercises you have of of taking the the company culture in the company and your own processes and habits from good to world-class?
0: Well, so I think most of it really boils down to this, is understanding your clients or customers in a more profound way. So for our business working with CEOs, it's not just being about are we hitting like our metrics? Like, you know, we're getting enough PR placements or we're getting enough social following. And it became more about how is what we're doing influencing their lives and their business, right? And then hearing from them more about that, understanding what works the best, what they value the most, and then kind of re engineering how we focused the service towards them and how we engaged them to reinforce that. So I think that at some point, when you kind of had like your, I'll just say your basics down, that next level is just deepening your understanding of impact and laser focusing it.
1: And and how did you guys deepen that understanding? Did you, you know, are you talking to clients and asking them questions about Mm -hmm. their needs?
0: Well, not just for needs, but how things were impacting them. Like, so, all right, so we've done this for you. What are the things you valued the most? What has been the most impactful? How have you been measuring success? So like one of the things, you know, a lot of our clients said was that, you know, like the metrics and stuff were cool, but what's better is that, you know, I, clients appreciated the fact that someone knew them at the airport or that if they had a business meeting at one o'clock doing a local TV show interview at 8am and the person we're meeting with seeing that interview, like that helps them close a deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: Or if someone sees them on social, they come across them. It just gives a sense of them feeling bigger and it helps them with with, with their day-to-day business. So it became kind of understanding those things and figuring out how to focus more towards those results.
1: What do you think is something, you know, because you're working with all these, these, you know, top level people, influencers, what are some things that you think they're missing? And we talked about the CEOs creating brands and execs creating brands. But what do you think they're missing as as influencers, as people with a significant amount of influence on the impact that they could have on their image, their brand and, and their careers in the world? Well, so.
0: Branding is the ultimate journey in personal development because you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to understand how other people see you and to not get emotionally worn out about that. Instead, you just have to figure out, well, how do I do a better job of conveying myself in a way that I hope people would see me, right? So that I think is is a journey for a lot of our clients and it took a while to even understand that, but you've got to help them understand that as well, right? And I think part of when you're in business is um, sometimes you're adjusting to the customer's expectations and reacting to them. Sometimes you're helping to drive them because um you know, t- so, for instance, think about Grubhub, right? When Grubhub came into the world, it made every restaurant be in the delivery business, whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> and okay. if those who were slower, they lost revenue and many of them ended up going out of business, right? So like understanding that this is your customer's expectations is one thing. and then, Uh, Tinkering with it to some degree to help them improve your expectations in a way that helps them get more out of you is another art to it.
1: Very good. I I wanted to ask a little bit uh more about kind of your personal brand and in, in in your journey and your branding for yourself because you've done some pretty amazing things here like uh you you have participated in a forum at the the White House and the US Chamber of Commerce and the Senate um, and then also you are founding member of the Forbes Agency Council which is pretty cool as well. So um Uh, I'd like to know first, like, uh, how you got involved with those, those things, all of those, and then why you chose to, and then how you, and then we'll talk about your own personal brand after that.
0: Well, it's funny because I was a little bit, and even still to this day, a little bit reluctant because I have really focused on what I call kind of like the John the Baptist approach of paving the way for others. Okay. (laughs) But what I ran into was that some people just considered it like a credibility gap. Like I remember distinctively one guy said, well, how can you help me grow my social media if you've only got 3000 Twitter followers?
1: Right. So I issued,
0: I looked at that as a challenge and I got myself to 30,000. Right. And then I got a book deal with Penguin, you know, and we, we got the opportunity. For, so I, I kind of like thought about it in terms of so two things. Number one, what is going to help me be credible enough for positioning myself in the way that I want to, which I said, which essentially is what branding is about in general, right? So I had to think about it in those terms for myself. And then number two, what are the things that people are going to see me in that can influence a business? So Some of those Forbes articles have produced clients, right? Having 11,000 connections on LinkedIn led us to closing a quarter million additional in business last year. So um, those were the two aspects of it. So how is it going to influence the business? And the softer side of it is, does it give you the credibility to offer what you want to offer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You make a really good point because there's some people that are really good at growing other people's brands, but not that good at, at growing your own brand. And I think it's because you, you have a giving spirit. This is from what my own experience, because I've done this with other people as well. Yeah. Um, you, you see the vision and you see the potential in somebody else. And you're really good at saying, oh, you can do this, this, this. But however, like when I've done this, I've realize that, you know, I've had a significant impact in making these other people successful. But uh, and and not that I, I'm not successful, but look at my own brand. Like, you know, I did this for other people. Like, I haven't done this for myself. So can I can see that for sure. And uh, and then we had to go back and say, okay, well, let's let's create a foundation in our own brand because you know that's equally important and will will right. help us help more people. Right. So so specifically, like um, getting involved in a business economic form at the White House and, and the Senate. How did how did that come about?
0: Well, so the, those things came about because of networks I was already in and networking I was doing. Right. So as part of Young Entrepreneur Council, and so met people within a group that were putting on that sort of form. And so I engaged them and they looked at everything I had and thought I would be a good participant. I mean, and so a lot of it is about being willing to position yourself, being willing to sometimes ask and, and then offering value to people, right? So I offered to, you know, share your content on social media. And a lot of ways that we drive our business today is through strategic alliances and relationships. So our clients refer over clients. We have people at other PR firms, social firms, design firms, et cetera, that will refer clients to us. And it's because we not only reward them, but a lot of times we'll do things like offer to help or LinkedIn at no cost because we are basically doing business development for us and we're not paying for it up front, right? So we're doing something of value for them as well. So being willing to actually put together meaningful alliances that are beneficial for both sides because everyone wants the other person to go first, but you should go first because it will trigger the best out of the other person.
1: Yeah, good point. And then and then let's talk about the becoming a founding member of the Forbes Forbes Agency Council. How did that come across your plate?
0: Well, so interestingly similar way. So um, the gentleman who started YEC, I've been a good member, loyal, participated in a group, very engaged. And so when he wanted to start his first Forbes Council, which was the PR and advertising agency, he asked us to be a founding member. So again, like the value of building equity in relationships. So um, I think it was Joel Olstein who kind of described this idea of us having emotional banks that you can put deposits or withdrawals in, right? And so if you're building a relationship with somebody and over the years, you're just continuously positive and you're engaging, that's a lot of deposits you're building up, right? And then whenever you ask for somebody for something it is a withdrawal like it just is or if you give constructive criticism to someone that's always a withdrawal no matter how constructive it is it's still <laughs> like yeah creates that thing right uh-huh. so you have to have enough deposits to make bigger withdrawals
1: <laughs> ah good point is there a way that you manage that like that's something that i kind of pay attention to as well um you know and I and and I could say, like you you may have your own strategy in your own mind to making sure that you're um you know giving more deposits than you are withdrawals,
0: well, so one of my roles is to pretty much never argue about money because like when you are easy in that area, it makes people like you a lot more,
1: <laughs> so
0: I'll give you an example, so yeah. like you know, like we may have a partner that, you know, was like maybe doing video stuff for us back in the day. And, you know, they may have wanted $35,000 for the deal. And instead of me, like coming up with all these reasons and all this and that of, you know, well, we need to be at 20,000 because I can go find other people and blah, blah, blah. I would just say, I'd like to be at 20,000 because this is going to be what helps maximize our margins and we are building a long-term relationship with you. So I, I hope, you know, this can be the beginning of that journey and we do more together. And then, you know, they may say great and this and that, or they may shift and counter. And then I'll just join them in the counter and then we'll decide. And that's it. Like you don't have to get emotionally bent out about it. And what I've had several people tell me is that they are just so surprised about that because most people just tie such emotions to it. And that is one of the biggest way, biggest values people see in working with us.
1: And, and what are some ways people or entrepreneurs could, could, disconnect their emotions from like the negotiations and the money because you know so many people are are in mass everybody's massively tied to their their money and their emotions so uh, how do you manage that
0: yeah so for me it's this whole idea of neuroplasticity okay so the idea is how do you put yourself in situations that could generally be pretty uncomfortable and survive in them okay and so, for instance, like one of the things I, I often did, um, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith myself, but on Twitter, I put myself in the atheist communities, right? And they say stuff that ain't so friendly all the time, right? So I measured my ability of my emotional reactions. At first, they'd be very visceral and quick, and then they slow down, right? And then also I try to learn things on different topics I'm not used to. So like my son got very interested in astronomy, so I started like trying to learn a lot more about the universe and physics and all this sort of stuff, right? And those sort of things just stretch you out of your comfort zone and it allows you to kind of disconnect your visceral nature. Um, there's a guy named Sam Harris who kind of makes this case that none of us have free will. I, I don't agree with him that far, but I will say most of us give up our free will. And the way that we give it up is because we let our natural instincts just drive us as opposed to pausing and reflecting. I went on a Navy SEAL training about a year and a half ago for a mastermind group. And the SEALs are so amazing because we're taught impulse control and we're taught to go beyond our normal barriers. And I learned that day, you know, I did not want to jump out of the helicopter into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I promise you I didn't. Right.
1: Yeah. But it
0: was just like doing the exercises that morning, being around other people, building that courage. I went ahead and did it and it was 62 degrees and it was cold, but I'm grateful that I did it. Right. Cause it showed me, I can push past my limits. So that's really the answer is the ability, the focus, and this is all about high performance, right? How, what do you do to push yourself past your limits so that when you get in those critical moments, you aren't a, you aren't slave to your normal mentality, you can actually think about it in a moment and make a better decision.
1: Yeah, what was the name of that training that you did?
0: Oh, so it's Scott Duffy's um, Entrepreneur Mastermind Group. And, okay. and Scott Duffy's the guy who sold his last company to Branson, and he's taken
1: a few public. Very cool. Yeah. I also want to ask you about, you know, you, are you still a member of YEC? Yes, absolutely. And are there any other communities that you belong to that... Uh... Yeah, so
0: I'm a lifetime member of the CEO clubs international. Um, Joe Mancuso had set up uh, chapters in several countries. I'm a member of Rotary for the last couple of years as well. Uh, I'm a, I participate in the Women of Global Change movement um, with Shelley Hunt. So those are probably the main ones.
1: Okay, excellent. What are some criteria you have for joining a new community? Like what, if it comes across your plate, what are some of the things that it, it has to hit in order you for you to say, yeah, this is a... It essentially has to have two
0: requirements. Uh, number one the energy of the people are something that I can vibe with. I feel like I can connect with people. We can have good conversation. We can ex- exchange and people aren't just in there to be transactional. And then the second one is how closely are we aligned with our target audience or the business, right? So, you know, like, uh, interestingly enough, a lot of, most of my The friends I've developed over the last 10 years have been clients or people I've met in these sort of communities, right? Because I think it's just one of those things where as you get older, it's easier if your life has integration. So if you're, if you're, if beyond spending time with your family, like, you know, if a lot of your friends, people you socialize with are also people that you have some sort of professional ties to, it just creates more synergy in your life.
1: Okay. And uh, one more question, Raul, and we'll wrap things up. If if you were to inform the listeners two or three things that you must do to manage your, your brand and your influence, what would you say?
0: Well, so number one, I, you just have to be relentless about it. And and what I mean by that is you've got to have a mentality where you constantly are willing to focus and think about it. So one of the great lessons I learned in terms of growing the business because we had like three years in a row where we were, what I call impressively mediocre as in we had like three years of doing the exact same amount of revenue, which is really hard to do. Normally you go up or you go down. Um, So I had to think about like, well, so what's going to kind of break that mode. And I realized what it was is that entrepreneurs and myself included at the time when we get a win, we relax, we celebrate it. And if you think about like a football player, they score a touchdown and then they have to go back to the next play. They have to go back to the sideline and get ready. Or if you know you get a great tackle, you have to get right back up and get ready for next play because you can get burnt and give up a touchdown. And entrepreneurship is the same way. Like celebrate your success for a quick second but get ready to do more, to do better, right? And that's whether it's your business or it's your brand. So having a relentless mentality is number one. Number two is being willing to listen to others and to observe the signals. So, you know, people, if you ask them for feedback, they'll give it to you. A lot of the time we don't want to then hear it or we want to disagree with it, but You've got to be willing to listen to people through all the way, see what they're saying about you and just digest it. I mean, I had a conversation with my sister the other night about my son because he had like a quick, you know, behavioral challenge in school. And she shared some things with me that she observed and I didn't want to exactly listen to them, but I did. And I digested it and it helped me. Right. So like listening and being willing to digest feedback without having a mind that rejects it, I think is number two. And then number three is, is studying the people that you admire. Okay. So normally for those of us building a brand there are people in the marketplace that we say, wow, like, you know, if I can have any aspect of her success, I'd be thrilled. Well, study what those people do and be willing to do what they've done.
1: Fair enough. Who are some of the Mm -hmm. people you admire just off the top of your head?
0: Yeah, I mean, so for me, Elon Musk is always amazing just because of the vision and the mindset. I mean, like who (coughs) ends up waking up one day and being like, oh, you know, what? we need to get the humanity to
1: Mars,
0: (laughs) right? Like that is impressive that you can think about that and actually put it in motion. And then who takes an idea like that is willing to sit down with investors and say, you know, I need this ten to twenty million dollars, and by the way, you might not see a return for thirty years, but you need to do it. I mean, that, <laughs> right? So, so he's definitely a guy. Um, Kobe was a guy, and I'll, I'll tell you a, a very quick story uh, that most people have not heard before. This is like a, a kind of an, a more of an exclusive story. So, um, there's a guy who is one of the NCAA's all-time leaders for three-pointers in a game and he was in the gym with an NBA player that he was helping with on his three-point shot. Kobe comes in the gym, and this player tries to talk to Kobe, and Kobe just ignores him. He later, you know, uh, the basketball goes down to overside side of the court. Kobe's on, and Kobe ignores him again. Finally, Kobe is leaving the gym, and the player just gets frustrated. He goes, what is your problem? What's up? And Kobe goes, I heard what you said. I heard what you said. You said Dwayne Wade was the toughest person to guard in the NBA. I'll be coming to see you real soon. So, like, Kobe figured out how to always fuel himself to keep going for, like, the next play, for the next challenge. Like, one of the things he did was, like, if a player talked trash to him, that would fire him up. If a player didn't talk trash to him, he felt like they were tricking him, so that would <laughs> fire him up. So he would always find a way to stay engaged, and 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 to me, that that's like one of the biggest challenges that we all have to face. Yeah. So that, that that's another
1: first nice. very cool. Okay, Raul, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and methods with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they can do that at?
0: So uh, Twitter is CEO underscore branding. I'm active on there. Our website is ascendantgroupbranding.com.
1: Fair enough. We'll put those in the show notes. And uh, any final words before we wrap up? Thank you for having me.
0: You're doing great work and I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. You are too, sir. And listeners, thank you for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at TheBusinessMethod.com. That's TheBusinessMethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.